are you ready to go and talk about uh, Jack Kirby and comic books and GoBots and Fantastic Four? <laughs> For sure, yeah, let's do it. Yo, welcome to my summer layer. I'm your host, Sammy Stanley. Never gave me a nickname, Yunnan. And welcome, comic book writer and artist Tom Skioli, based in Pittsburgh. Two of his recent projects recognize and explore the fantastic imagination of Jack King Kirby. The first project is Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics, which is an outstanding Jack Kirby biography slash graphic novel that in some ways mirrors Captain America's origins. You know, scrappy kid, born in the lower east side of Manhattan. He draws well. Uh, I think people often forget Steve Rogers was a commercial artist for a time. Yes, I'm aware he's not a real person. He gets drafted, fights in World War II, and comes home victorious. Only when he returns to comic books, Jack Kirby was successful, though not always victorious. It's difficult to calibrate an authentic Jack Kirby opinion. He mined his rich imagination and gifted us so many stunning visuals and enduring characters. The rich soil of the Marvel Universe from which we decades later would happily harvest as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Kirby was a major contributor to all of that. But, but, he's also worked for hire, which was standard at the time, even though what Simon and Kirby, and especially Lee and Kirby, were doing was not standard. Which brings us to the second Tom Scioli project related to Jack Kirby, the Fantastic Four Grand Design. As Tom astutely writes in the first issue, the history of the Fantastic Four is the history of the Marvel Universe. Like the X-Men Grand Design that preceded it, Fantastic Four Grand Design is a seamless blending of decades of Fantastic Four continuity into one long, astonishing story that, yes, tells the history of the Marvel Universe. Fantastic Four introduced us to Black Panther, Inhumans, and so many other characters, including a giant world eater and his silver assistant with a surfboard. So like the Challengers of the Unknown, another Jack Kirby creation, let's cannonball into these excellent projects with comic book writer and artist and super duper nerd, Tom Skioli. Yeah, so I want to start off with um, what is Total Recall Show? I want to start there because an interview is a lot like Total Recall Show, like an episode, right? Uh, where you kind of look back. So I'm yeah. going to be looking back at some of your stuff in your career. So for anybody that doesn't know, what is Total Recall Show? Um, it's a, a YouTube show that I do with my friend Matt Zioli. And uh, we just we, we talk about pretty much whatever we feel like talking about. So it's a lot of uh, nostalgia, a lot of stuff from like the 80s and 90s, movies, TV, occasionally comic books. But yeah, it's it's, it's really, you know, the, the sort of conversations that like I haven't had in a long time, just, you know, be, you know everybody being so isolated. And it was just kind of nice to just do, you know, just those kind of like nerdy kind of uh, deep dive kind of conversations that, that are, are, you know, kind, kind of hard to have these days. So, um, yeah, you know, that, that's been it. Uh, you like recent episodes were like Mr. T. Uh, you guys had another one about the right. debate between like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man versus the James Cameron Spider-Man. Like those are the type of nerdy conversations yeah. like you're talking about. Yeah. And, and um, 
like one of the recurring themes is like whenever possible, we try to find like old, like early drafts of scripts for like, you know, those kind of movies like, like Batman or, or Spider-Man or, or, you know, Star Wars or whatever. And then compare those like first draft or, or like early drafts with the finished product to kind of see, you know, a little, get a little insight into the creative process and like how, how, you know, it got to, to what it is. It's, it, and that's been really interesting just seeing kind of how much is there, you know, from early on and then, and then how much is kind of like, you know, sort of out of focus and not, not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the James Cameron Spider-Man would have been really interesting. I don't know how it would have connected with fans. I don't know if it would have worked as we, what we read on the page, but as a concept, it would, sure. have, it would have been really interesting to have that out in the world, you know? Yeah, it, it would have been like very much of its time too. Like, like we kind of yeah. we missed out on getting sort of like an '80s or '90s kind of Spider-Man movie, you know. And that would be interesting, sort of like with with a little bit of uh, like the Terminator gloss, mm-hmm. you know. So I I want to switch now from something um, I guess lowbrow like uh, <laughs> a James Cameron Spider-Man to something highbrow. So yeah. congratulations because Fantastic Four Grand Design made the NPR Books 2020 list. Uh, that's really classy. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I was I was that was a really pleasant surprise. So tell me then, what is it with these guys from Pittsburgh and these Grand Design books? Yeah, I mean Ed Pisker, who's who's also from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he did the the, the X Men. One and then when Marvel was looking, you know, for like other artists to do uh, other brand designs, you know, they they thought of me and um, it seems like there's all almost developing like a Pittsburgh school of comic arts, like like a kind of uh, <laughs> you know we're all pretty different, but there there does seem to be some uh, connective tissue. There does seem to be like a um, like a somewhat unified philosophy about comics, you know, and, and it just sort of, I think happened, you know, pretty organically. We see that in like Portland, for example, where like guys like Brubaker and Bendis, they do a lot of crime. I know Bendis hasn't done a lot of crime generally lately, but there's a lot of crime, yeah. a lot of dirtiness, like dirty characters, dirty people doing dirty things. Uh, we see some overlap. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about with like Pittsburgh. It, it is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is interesting how these things, you know, pop up because like, yeah, I'm I'm accustomed to sort of looking at these things from the outside, you know, sort of seeing like, oh yeah, there's there's that that group and there's that group, of, you know, of of creators who are sort of like-minded. But it's interesting to actually be in that and and not almost not even aware that that's what's happening, and then having like other people pointed out to me, and then kind of having to to look at like my own work and like the work of my friends from an outsider's view, and be like, okay, yeah, I, yeah, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, it's the grand design, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> so, for anybody that doesn't know, how are you describing Fantastic Four grand design? Like, do you consider it like a, a hip-hop remix? Or uh, how do you tell people what it is? Because people know what Fantastic Four is, but what is the Fantastic Four grand design? The Fantastic Four grand design was sort of like, I'm giving you like a personal guided tour through the history of the Marvel Universe um, so it's got like sort of the, the classics, it, you know, it's, it's hitting a lot of familiar notes, but it's, it's kind of like through my personal lens. And, and to me, those are like the two 
elements of the sort of grand design thing, you know, sort of what's what's in common uh, between my, my grand design and then Ed's X-Men is on the one hand, it's, you know, this almost like encyclopedic work where it's got like, you know, so much content, so, so many stories, so many characters in, you know, like, a, you know, a, a relatively small number of pages, like, like much more, you know, much, much more going on than, than, than like your typical uh, Marvel or DC comic. But then you also have sort of like the artist's personal touch, like, like it, it's um, like very personal and very, um, you know, has like a strong, you know, point of view and, and is sort of like idiosyncratic and unique. So, so it's, it's kind of those two things together, kind of, kind of like a, like a universal and, and like an extremely um, uh, specific. Yeah. Ed's, his X-Men grand design was incredible. So if you ever see him or run into him in Pittsburgh, please do give him a high five and tell him that's from me. Uh, but what was, oh, the... I know. Okay, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but what was the process like then to create Fantastic Four grand design? I assume that every, Fantastic Four comic book is like a Lego block, right? And you can build anything with those Legos. So what is, what is the architectural process for the book like? Well, I mean, for me, the biggest part was kind of finding a window in. Like, how do I approach this? How do I, how do I get started? You know, what's, what's the angle? And, and so I kind of came up with the idea that, that, like, the history of the Fantastic Four is the history of the Marvel Universe. It's, it's sort of like you know, the first Marvel Age book, you know, like, of course, you know, there's Captain America and, and Namor and stuff in, in the 30s and 40s, but what we think of as the Marvel Age kind of starts with Fantastic Four, and so many characters premiered there. Like, there's so many characters that we think of as sort of being their own thing, like Silver Surfer, Galactus, um, Black Panther, uh, the Inhumans, but they actually, like, originated as... Fantastic Four, you know, villains, actually, you know, like where it's like, okay, they're the bad guys for like maybe one issue or two issues. And then the, uh, you know, Fantastic Four kind of get to know their deeper story. So I thought like, okay, anybody who premiered in Fantastic Four, that's fair game. So, so it kind of gave me this broad canvas to work with. And then, um, you know, it's kind of like looking at Galactus's story and, and Galactus's origin story in the Silver Surfer. And, and I just saw all these echoes with the Fantastic Four's story. So I kind of like saw it as maybe this like, you know, this resonant myth cycle that keeps, you know, getting repeated through through the Marvel universe. So that was that's kind of my window in. And then and then I got like just very personal with like each of the characters. I tried to like, you know, figure out like what you know, what's their life, you know, each, each of the four. And then you know get them on their road, you know, from where each one of them started, and and then how they they sort of end up together, and uh, just like really closely reading the old comics and, and trying to look at them uh, with like a new a new eye or a new lens because these are comics that have been told and retold again and again. Uh, these stories they're extremely familiar to me and and, and to a lot of people, and. So I was trying to look at them as if they were just coming out today and, you know, what they seemed like. And, and Fantastic Four, if you read those older stories, we don't really know them very well yet. So there's kind of like, they kind of have like an edge, so like a little bit uh, dangerous and a little bit scary. And you're not quite sure, you know, where you stand with them. Like, like in the early issues, like they steal the rocket that, that, they, that they go up mm -hmm. in. They're, they're sort of outlaws. 
And so I was trying to think of a way of like, you know, how you get from there to like these, you know, these sort of, you know, celebrities that they become later on in in the story. I know Ed worked on X-Men and you worked on Fantastic Four, but isn't it astonishing that like these creators were able to create this mythology and this continuity, knowing that like how haphazard it was back then. Like you said, we'll just throw in Black Panther in this episode and okay, now he's a bad guy in the next episode or next issue, he's a good guy. Like, it's astonishing that like, considering the pitch process now and how people have to have like whole arcs or whole ideas when they pitch to an editor or talk to an editor to do something. It's incredible that these guys like Lee and Kirby and Ditko and others were able to create this mythology that lasts and has resonance to this day. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they had the skills each one of them was an industry veteran. Each one had, had done, and literally a veteran too, but, uh, you know, they, they each done, you know, more than their fair share of comics before they started doing these works. So they had all the skills in place. And then they also had, like, just enough, like, creative ambition. They, they really, like, wanted to do something big and do something new and kind of, um, you know, tell, like, a story worth telling. But then they also they were kind of loose too. Like they weren't overly serious about it either. They were just kind of having fun. And I feel like that's like a real sweet spot. Like you kind of have to have those three elements to be able to make something really great. If you're too serious and too precious, you can kind of like strangle the life out of something. Mm -hmm. But if if you're, if you're kind of like a little bit loose and kind of have all those kind of skills to fall back on, you you can make something amazing and, and, and just to not be self-conscious at all. And, and, I, I, I think I think they weren't. You know, I think they they weren't self conscious. They they were, um, you know, they had sort of like a confidence and a looseness and and almost like a like here goes nothing. Like like okay, you know, we might get shut down tomorrow, so let's just you know do let's just do our thing. Yeah. So is that kind of fun approach something you mimic as well? That kind of looseness. Like we we've been talking about Grand Design, which is Fantastic Four. You've done Transformers versus GI Joe. You've done GoBots people have deep connections with these characters or previous comic book runs. Cause, cause I would imagine that it'd be a little bit of trepidation uh, to take this stuff on. Cause if you don't get it, then people will be upset or cranky or whatever it may be. But I guess if, sure. if, you're, if you're approaching it kind of loose, like you said, and like you understand the value of what you're doing, but you want to have some fun with it, which shows up in a lot of your work, it would make it a lot more kind of acceptable, I guess, and a lot more fun for people. Fun is contagious. Yeah. I mean, you just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like if if, if the creators of, of these works are having fun, then you know there's a pretty good chance the audience will too. It's it's that's a balance I try to strike. Like I, I that's kind of the zone I I want to get in, and and sometimes it's it's you know hard. Sometimes it's easy. I I find that like you know once you get over the sort of fear of like a blank page, like once you get started a certain part of your brain shuts off and then, and then things just start rolling and, and then, and then it is easier to get into it. It's, it's kind of like at its most intimidating, like before you really dive in, but, but, but once you jump in, it, 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 it kind of takes on its own momentum. Mm-hmm. So sticking with Jack Kirby and momentum, how did Phantom of the Attic eHarmony connect you with Jack Kirby's work? Yeah. They, um, I mean, I was, you know, like a freshman in college you know, I just, just moved to Pittsburgh and, you know, I was into comics and 
that was the local comic shop. That was that was the the, the college. You know, that was you know it was it was right off campus and uh, walking distance. And and yeah, I was just like checking out all their stuff. And like Jeff, the guy who runs it, he's like a huge Jack Kirby fan. And they had sort of like a little you know like a little Kirby corner, like a little a little rack, and it had you know the art of Jack Kirby book. It had uh, um, you know some Jack Kirby collectors and, and stuff. And and so I was just kind of looking at that, and I I sort of you know, heard the name Jack Kirby, I, you know, I had, you know, somewhat of, of an acquaintance with like his work. Uh, but I, I didn't understand just how deep it went and, and how far it went. And, and that was kind of like my introduction of like, okay, this guy, Jack Kirby, this is, this is somebody like really important and, you know, has done some like really amazing work. And like, I got to pay attention because it, like just flipping through like the art of Jack Kirby, book it's like oh, like i can't believe one person did all this stuff it had like you know stuff from like the 30s and 40s and then and then uh the 50s 60s the 70s and like the 70s stuff really jumped out at me because it, it just it looked like nothing i'd ever seen before like i was kind of shocked that like um you know that something so bold and visionary like you know like escapes my notice yeah did it help that you were taking film classes at the same time as well, just because, like, you see this visual style. Yeah. Kirby's style is completely, yeah. like, it explodes off the page. It's very cinematic. Yeah, it, re- it really is. Um, you know, he loved the movies. You know, he was, he was part of that generation that spent his afternoons at the movies. You just sort of, you know, go there, pay, pay your ticket price, and just, you know, hang out for the rest of the day. And, you know, you think about the era, you know, he's, like, starting off in kind of, like, the silent era you know, those like early, early Cecil B. DeMille movies, like, like the original Ten Commandments, like before the, the, the uh, remake with Charlton Heston, you know, where it's just, you know, all these like insane like visuals or like, um, uh, you know, like, like some of like the German expressionist films and stuff. And, and, and when you go back and watch some of these like silent era movies, um, you do see like, a lot of like the Kirby DNA in there. There are a lot of these stories of like gods and monsters, angels and demons, uh, you know, cataclysms. Um, and you know, you know, he would have been very young at this point. So it probably like imprinted, you know, really, you know, really strongly on him. And he'd like sort of like retell these stories up, up until, up until like, you know, the end of his career. Sending that thread then, this brings us to your, graphic novel biography of Jack Kirby, which is called Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics. This is an obvious mm-hmm. question, and considering our conversation and considering your influences, so uh, you can just roll your eyes and just kind of answer it, but why uh, <laughs> why Jack Kirby and not like Steve Ditko or Gardner Fox or some other overlooked and underappreciated old-timey comic book superstar? There's a lot that dev- have never gotten their due. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, yeah, and all, all of them are all over you. It's just, I mean, Kirby, you know, first and foremost, like, like his work speaks to me personally. Like, I, like I, I, you know, had a really strong connection with his work, uh, and, you know, became obsessed with it, you know, you know, quite honestly. And, and so there's that. And then I think he's also beyond my personal connection. I think like, I can't think of anyone else who had a bigger influence on, you know, like where we are now as, uh, you know, in, in, in sort of like a pop culture sense than Kirby. Like, I see his influence on everything. I mean, first of all, like, the literal influence of the, all these characters and stories and worlds that he created that are 
for the past, you know, 20 years have like, you know, dominated film industry. Uh, but then I also see it in, in the influence in uh, games, in, uh, in stuff like, uh, you know, Star Wars or, or uh, Masters of the Universe or, you know, things that he didn't directly work on, but, but are, you know, obviously influenced by him. Like it was those two things. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's other people you mentioned, uh, you know, would, would be good candidates. I, I, I've been sort of like working on like a, um, a, a graphic biography of, uh, Otto Binder, okay. who is like, I think it's like some, you know, somebody who is, you know, more overlooked than Kirby, uh, had a huge influence. Like, like, you know, the, the forties and fifties, the Captain Marvel comics that he wrote, like there was nothing bigger. It was, it was you know, huge. And then all that stuff just kind of disappeared and he moved on. He sort of, you know, got out of the comics business, you know, when comics had its like resurgence in the sixties, he wasn't really on the scene in any, in any big way. So he didn't, you know, benefit from it the way that like, you know, Jack Kirby and, and uh, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko did. And I think that might be part of why he is like, so forgotten. Like if he had just kind of, you know, stayed in comics like one more decade, mm-hmm. There might have been like more connective tissue, but uh, you know, super interesting guy, you know, really interesting story, and, and the stuff that he worked on after he like left comics is is really interesting too. Do you have an expected release date for that, or is that one just something you're kind of chipping away at slowly? Yeah, it's exactly it's it's something I'm just kind of working on. Similarly with with like the Jack Kirby book, it, like the Jack Kirby book really just started as like a comic I was kind of you know, playing around with, you know, trying out and, and posting on Instagram and stuff. And, and I, I mean, I did, I did have ambitions towards, you know, having it, you know, released as like, as like a book, which, which is pretty much how I feel about, about everything I work on. But, but, um, the Otto Bender one is kind of at, at that stage, no, no release date or anything, but I'm kind of, you know, putting the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just put the tea bag in, but it's still got to steep a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Ditko would be an interesting one. I, I would like to do a book about Ditko. I think the research process for a Ditko one would, would be a lot more difficult, and, and I would probably have to, uh, you know, like like put on my journalist hat, uh, you know, like like to a really large degree. Like I think I would have to, you know, go, go around, you know, talk to like you know the family, his friends, like because uh, with Kirby there was a lot more like publicly accessible information because he had stayed connected to, you know, comics fandom and, 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 you know, sort of like Hollywood and stuff for the, the entirety of his life. Like he was very accessible, very approachable. So, so there, there's a lot of interviews. There's a lot on the record about Kirby where Ditko, you know, he, he was, you know, a really big part of, of fandom and, and, you know, comics, you know, kind of zine culture and stuff, and then disappeared off off that off that radar and just not not really heard from again and too much. And especially uh, in terms of like biographical information, you know, he he was really loath to to talk about himself personally. He you know he, he liked to let his work speak for him. And and if he did manage to you know get him like on the record about anything, it was he would usually you know just you know talk to you about, you know, Ayn Rand mm-hmm. uh, and, and Randy and philosophy. So, so you didn't really get uh, too many insights in, in, into him personally. Their art styles mirror their personalities, right? Kirby's is very big personality, very bombastic, uh, like sure of himself. You know what I mean? And you kind of see that in the artwork. 
Yeah. And then Ditko is kind of like a lot more quiet, introspective, like withdrawn, very subtle, uh, but still like yeah. there, like still a recognizable force. You know what I mean? Like you know when he's in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and they are more alike than they are different. Like I think if if you're really like steeped in comics, you're you're like more tuned into their differences. But but they they do sort of come from the, the same school, you know, and and especially like when you go really far back with the work, like, like it's those earliest, earliest work and Kirby's earliest work, even though they're, they were kind of like a decade apart in terms of like age and, and like when, when they entered the field, you see more, more alike than difference, but yeah, they definitely, as, as they matured and their styles matured, they, they kind of, yeah, carved out their own uh, little areas. So you've used this phrase a couple of times, the connective tissue. And I don't know if this is a weird question or a dumb question, but, when when you're doing Fantastic Four Grand Design, which was about Kirby's work in Fantastic Four, but it was also about comic book continuity. So things get introduced in general comic book continuity, and you don't know if it's going to have an impact or not. You kind of alluded to this too, right? Like yeah. they were just kind of making up stuff, and I'm like, mm-hmm. you don't realize like something—the ultimate yeah. nullifier will still be hanging around or still be having an influence in Fantastic right. Four uh, all these decades later. But when you study Jack Kirby's life, his real life. Can you see a similar continuity, or can you see a grand design that kind of runs through it? Yeah, I mean that that was a challenge too. I mean, the, like the thing that kind of works to your benefit when, when you're working on uh, you know nonfiction as opposed to fiction is like when you're doing fiction, you are expected to tie everything up and make you know everything pay off and and all the little you know twists and turns you know add up to something and have resonance. When you uh, are doing nonfiction, you kind of, you know, tell the story as it is. And, and you know, if there are unresolved things, uh, you know, that's okay because that, that's how life goes, you know. Um, and, and you just sort of let let the story, like let, let the fact tell the story. There's, there's less um, uh, of, of you um, forcing, like, like, like your will on it or, or, or some kind of order to it. Uh, which I, I think, you know, benefits the work. I, I did, um, like, with the Fantastic Four, I did try to approach it a little more like like a biographical work and, and, and kind of like a, uh, almost like a documentary. You know, so I, I tried to, like, bring some of that approach that I was doing with Black I worked on those, those uh, projects concurrently. So, I, like, I, I, I was uh, sort of conscious of and okay with this, um, you know, biographical approach influencing this, this like fictional uh, work I was doing, and, and uh, you know, kind of you know let it breathe a little. And, and since it like the Fantastic Four thing was such a big story, um, it worked to my benefit to sort of allow there to be a gap that, that the reader gets to fill in. Yeah. So when you draw Kirby in the the graphic novel, uh, the Epic Life of the King of Comics. When you draw Kirby, you draw him with these like big eyes. Visually, he's really distinct from all mm-hmm. the other characters in the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. So, for each project, are you kind of developing a premeditated visual style, or, or is that something that just kind of naturally comes out, or like unconsciously comes out as you kind of work on the project? Yeah, in, in uh, I mean, in the case of the Joker, that that emerged organically. It was uh, just you know in the process of doing this, you know, page after page, it, it kind of I started going in that direction, and I was thinking, like, okay, do I 
ISIS? Do I go with this? And, and you know, and like I found that like it's you know it's it's hard to kind of like rationally explain like why you know why that, but it just I found that it like just really worked. Like it did, yeah. It, it uh, yeah, like it like it it, it read really well, and, and and it worked in a way that like it didn't work without that, you know, like, and, and so I did, I went back, there were a couple of pages I went back and, like, kind of, you know, brought, you know, into that, uh, you know, kind of, um, made, uh, you know, that, that sort of cartoons Kirby, that, that kind of, like, uh, stylized Kirby, and, yeah, the, they, they just came alive, and, and I just, I couldn't see doing the book another way, like, it, it was almost like, if, if I do Kirby in, like, a semi-realistic or a photo-realistic way, it almost seems like he was um, you know, like a secondary character in his own life, mm-hmm. um, where it, it was like this, this really like brought the focus on him and, and kind of brought you like into his skin and, and, and took you on his, on his, on his journey. And, and like, I, I understand how that works in like a, you know, like in a theoretical way, you know, just, just from, you know, studying like, you know, Scott McCloud and, and Marshall McLuhan. It's like, it's like, I understand like, it just evolved how that works, but just there, there was like there was like a poetry to it. It's like really, um, you know, and, and again, like when you're creating something, you know, sometimes you have to like decide whether or not to like listen to that voice that's kind of you know telling you to do something that that uh, you know you weren't um, you know you weren't expecting, and you're not sure how it's gonna how it's gonna play out. I, you know, but I think that's one of the benefits of working on something. That's kind of like a self-guided project, like like the Jack Kirby, where it was like I was really creating it, you know, for myself. And again, I tried to bring some of that to the Fantastic Four Grand Design. I tried to bring like that that independent spirit of like, like I'm doing this comic for me. If, if you like it, fine. But like I'm, you know, I'm going where where my, where my imagination is taking me, and, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd like you to come along with me, but but you know, I I got to do it this way. Yeah, that's why I like the the big eyes that you drew, uh, the way we drew Kirby, because it represented to me like the imagination. Because that guy saw so much when you look at the breadth of his work. It's like, that's astonishing. Like, from the Fantastic Four to New Gods to, like, you name it. Like, that's an that's incredible amount of imagination. Yeah, when, when we think about, like, like an artist or cartoonist, like, we think about the hands. You know, the, you know the, the hands and, and in that book, you know, his hand is important and the pencil and all that. But I mean, the eye is really that—that's the, the, the main thing. That's that's what you know. That's when we're talking about like a director. Is when we talk about their eye, the eye, yeah. and um, and then talk about a visionary. You know, so like you know, the, the eyes are just like really important. Because we're talking about Kirby's like staggering output in his work, you're somebody who doesn't do traditional monthly comic books. I know you did like Transformers versus GI Joe. Example, but yeah. generally you kind of do a lot of like projects. So, are you yeah. seeking kind of like stories, or are you seeking like properties? I guess, for lack of a better term, right? Because Fantastic Four, GI Joe, GoBots were all properties. Even yeah. Kirby, to a certain extent, just because he's involved mm-hmm. and enmeshed in that Marvel mythology. So, are you seeking stories, or are you seeking properties? Well, I mean, I think I, mean, I think the difference, just like the system, like the industry as it exists now you know, as opposed to how it existed then. Like that, you know, it made sense back then to like, you know, get on a plane and just keep going with it and, 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 and try to make it like last as long as possible, you know, from, from month to month. And that, that does, you know, 
still exists, you know, to some degree today, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not the dominant form and it's not, it, it, it seems like that, that way of doing things is kind of being phased out. So, I mean, you know, it's just, that, it, it, it's just, it's just a natural consequence of, of, you know, me working in the era I work in. Like, uh, I'm, you know, able to make a career going, you know, from project to project and creating sort of work with the beginning, middle, and end. Like, that was, that was always really important to me. And that's, that's what the luxury I've had that Kobe actually didn't have. Mm-hmm. So many of Kobe's thought, like, the majority of, of, of his work are these kind of stories that, that don't, don't really get an ending. You know, occasionally he got to do it, and, and when he did get to make an ending, it was very special. But uh, he didn't get to do it that often. Usually his, his, his stuff would either, would either get canceled, unresolved, or... You know, he'd move on to somewhere else, and somebody else would, would take over and, and, and continue his story. And, and some of those stories are still going on to this day. You know, you know, 70, 80, you know, years later. Yeah. So when you talk about Kirby's life like that, that he didn't always get to finish his work or that other people would pick up on it, like, is, he, is Kirby, like you said, just a product of his time? Like those two Superman creators who signed away their rights when obviously they didn't realize they were making a billion-dollar project. Uh, there was no way to even know that. Or is, do you view Kirby as like a cautionary tale or like having written this book now, this graphic novel, how do you view Jack Kirby? I mean, you know, first and foremost, I, I view him like as an inspiration, as somebody to emulate, somebody who like, you know, you know, knew what to do with, with, you know, kind of doing the right thing. And there is the cautionary tale aspect, but I, I do think of him when I'm, or making a deal, or, or you know, but like I don't see how he could have really done things much differently back then. Like, like you know, short of having a time machine, like <laughs> he did the best he could with the information as it, you know, as it was back then. Like, like just the, the understanding of like intellectual property, you know, rights and creator rights, and, and you know what your rights are as a creator, as an author, like. Those things weren't very well understood. Um, you know, that was, that was uh, information that, that was difficult to access. And, and there were, I think there were some people who uh, almost like through uh, instinct and intuition uh, were kind of, you know, short-like and, and uh, you know, knew how to, like, like you had this very general sense of how to, you know, take advantage of, like, a young creator, you know, and, 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 and were able to do so. And, and then some people had sort of like an instinct that, that allowed them, you know, that, that sort of led them to make like the right, the right decisions very well. But I don't, a lot of the intellectual property stuff is, is like still being argued to this day. So, so the, you know, the waters are very muddy. And that's pretty, like, he wasn't, he wasn't just like some leaner who, you know, just, uh, you know, signed his life away happily so that he could, he could be, you know, all, all alone and just, but he really, he did, um, you know, hit the case, and he did, you know, try to get, you know, best deals that he could. But he was, you know, making the best of, you know, kind of like a bad situation. Like, like uh, you know, the, you know, the early days of comics, it, it, you know, it was, it was the wild west, you know, and, and, it, and it, you know, remains so, it, 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 uh, you know, for decades. And, and even today, like, there's, there's still, um, that early uh, comic culture and that early editorial culture. 
Yeah, like I I reference like because you did like Fantastic Four Grand Design, and I reference continuity, and it's hard at that point, like when Stan Lee and Ditko and Kirby and uh, others are working on this stuff and creating Superman and Batman, they don't really have a sense of legacy or continuity. Like the community, really, the comic book fandom community has been built up at that point. Like it's hard to know like what you're doing is quote unquote important or will have a lasting effect. It's a lot like when Star Wars came out. Right, like you don't realize it's going to create yeah. this entire industry and it's going to affect generations. It's just like this would be yeah, a good yeah. movie, you know what I mean? And uh, maybe I can go work on American Graffiti two after this or something. Like you don't realize what it is that you're making until all of a sudden it gets out there and it has this huge impact. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, like George Lucas, he had some breath of possibility, but like in his wildest dreams, would have like expected that it was. That he had his ups and downs, it's like you know, his his, uh, his hits and his misses, you know, before Star Wars. And yeah, I, like I don't, I don't think it's possible to see Star Wars if you were thinking like, oh man, this thing is going to be huge. I'm going to get so rich off of it, you know, like like I, I think that would be, you know, be really debilitating. But like, like cartoonists and, and creative people, like I think I, I found there is kind of this like simultaneous. Like overinflated ego, and then like like super self-deprecating ego. It's kind of like bounce back and forth between these two uh, poles of like you know, like oh yeah, I'm really onto something. This is great, and then you know, oh this this is terrible. I'm worthless. You know, like but like, that seems to be like a common trait. And, and so I could see Dan and Zach one moment feeling kind of grandiose, like oh man, this stuff's so important, it's so great, and the next moment feeling that just you know, it's packed. Garbage. Yeah, it, it, that time period is so strange because they're basically creating the fandom, right? The, the characters and stuff that we all love, yeah. they were single-handedly creating them one by one, right? Fantastic Four and then X-Men and uh, yeah. Spider-Man and like on and on and on. And it's like nowadays, it's like you said, I think you mentioned before like that looseness, right? And that like you take it a little serious, mm-hmm. like you do your work, but you don't take it super serious. And I think sometimes nowadays some creators do that where we're like, I'm going to create this comic book and I'm going to sell it to video games and I'm going to sell it to movies. And you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like this super focused, hyper intense um, like vision. And it's like, then it comes out and like nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be very debilitating. Mm-hmm. It, it gets in your way. Like, you really do have to um, cook in. Like, when you're really uh, in that creative zone, you do sort of disappear, you know, and, and just, you know, just the work is all. It's all that's there, and, and, and you know, the longer you can stay in that zone, the better. And, and then eventually that kind of paper, and then you sort of come back to earth, and, and, and you know, you know, you're you again, and you're you know, you're, you're back to like you know, trying to figure out what's up for dinner and stuff. But but <laughs> that is, but that's that's the thing I choose. Like I like I want to be in that zone, you know, for as long as possible. And I have to. So where can people find you online to see how you cycle? See how I did a GoBots pun there? Cycle through uh, yeah. these different projects, um, as well as your Patreon. Where can people find you online to find out more about what you're up to? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm on Twitter at Tom Scholey. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Tom underscore Scholey. I, uh, yeah, I have my Patreon, uh, you know, just search my name. I, I, I have a website, you know, TomScholey.com and Ambarb.com, uh, which I... You know, I haven't updated uh, too frequently. I'd like, to, I'd like to get back into that and, and do some more, uh, more blogging on there. But yeah, and, and then there's the, the Total Recall Show channel on YouTube, um, where you can 
you know, watch watch me and Matt you know, talk about whatever's on our mind. Yeah, that's we've gone now full circle, right? I opened with uh, Total Recall, so yeah. <laughs> um, we've gone full circle. So yeah, Fantastic Four uh, Grand Design is obviously out now, and uh, it's got a collective yeah, kind of edition. Yeah, yeah, and we're doing like translations that like it's, it's uh, available in, in uh, multiple languages and, and you know more more all the time and and, uh, and and of course yeah the Jack Kirby the Epic of the Kindle comics is, is still available too. There you go. So thank you so much for uh, hanging out. We covered uh, quite a bit. We didn't get as much into the GoBots, but we did cover quite a bit of Kirby and old school yeah. comics and uh, new school comics as well. So thank you so much for hanging out. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, we'll have to get together again sometime and, and do like an all GoBot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll do a part two and it'll be all GoBots. Uh, so we'll have to schedule that for another time then. We'll just leave that as a teaser then. Yo, that was Tom Scioli, and I'm Sammy Yunan. As I said, the two graphic novels are Fantastic Four, Grand Design, and Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics. Pick up one, or pick up both. Great reads, lots of sci-fi goodness, and comic book history lessons for the kids. If you want to know more about Jack Kirby, there is a podcast, and it's an adaptation of a play. Whoa, keeping it classy here. Where's my tuxedo t-shirt? Google King Kirby Podcast, or search for the Broadway Podcast Network and King Kirby Podcast. I'll add it to the show notes, but Google also knows what I am talking about. It is highly recommended, and it brings Jack Kirby's life to, well, like, life. To conclude the proceedings, thank you, Jack Kirby, for your imagination, and thank you for your work. Realistically, we should, we should, but we don't, have a better collective memory of the creators who have mightily contributed to our pop culture. We shouldn't just talk about Kobe or Michael Jordan. We should also acknowledge Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. We shouldn't just talk about Bendis or Jeff Johns, but we should also be able to recall Kirby and Gardner Fox and so many other greats. Who else in comics are we overlooking or failing to give them their due? Let me know. I am at my pal Sammy for all three. My pal Sammy for Facebook, Twitter, IG. Who are we overlooking or failing to give their due in comics? Thank you so much for listening and hanging out with me in a Netflix world. Jack Kirby, yo.